Yeah. And welcome to binge mode. Yeah. 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 Love binge mode. <laughs> what though? What though? I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today. Yes. Now that he's finished checking the <laughs> hyperdrive on the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> That doesn't sound right. Gotta be honest, it seems like that thing needs a lot of work. It's, yeah, it's a piece of junk. Let's be real. <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Never tell me the odds. <laughs> Jason. Yes. My young Padawan. Yes. <laughs> the force is strong with you. Thank you so much. But. Yeah. Patience you must have. Mm, love that construction. We are still a few hours away from the premiere of Star Wars The Last Jedi. That's right. However, we're hyped. We are as hyped, as jazzed as that little porg. Love a porg. In the trailer, who was surely thrilled when he realized he'd become an instant meme. Love a porg. So here we are on the Ringer Podcast Network getting ready for the cinematic event of the year. That's right. Before then, a quick reminder. Every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, mm-hmm. we'll be diving deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And in spring 2018, we'll be arriving via Porky to deliver Binge Mode Harry Potter. You'll be able to find both Weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed, so stay subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode. We promise to check our mentions <laughs> even when we're in the outer rim. Underscore. Even, even then, just add us at the underscore. On today's Binge Mode Weekly, we are jumping into our X-Wings. That's right. Facing down the TIE Fighters. Let's go. Can I examine how Star Wars presents the hero's journey? Mm. One of our favorite things to discuss just in general in stories. So, yes. spoiler warning, but a slightly amended spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from all previous eight Star Wars films, but... We want you to know that we have not seen Last Jedi Haven't yet. seen it yet. So we will not be spoiling it for you because we don't know anything to spoil. That's right. So before you grab your lightsaber and head to your territory's movie theater, <laughs> please join us as we discuss heroes and villains from a podcast studio far, far away. Jason? Yeah. This table, this one right here. Wow. Where we sit. Made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Absolutely incredible. So before we get to today's theme, we should not have any trouble taking a very quick trip down our own King's Road, or in this case, our own Hyperlane, Yeah. to offer a brief refresher on Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, the pillar on which yes. Star Wars and countless other iconic and essential stories were built. The observation that heroic tales and religion, folklore, film, wherever, follow a common template is one that's been around a long, long time, way before Joseph Campbell. But the notion was popularized by Campbell. His book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, was published in 1949, and it was a big influence on Lucas. And truly, this template is just a huge influence on storytelling in general. But Lucas really adhered to what Campbell called the monomyth. And what that is is a description of stories and the arc that they follow. He divides them into three segments, departure, initiation, and return. Each segment was then divided into stages, of which there are 17, but let's just focus on the ones that are kind of germane to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Departure contains a call to adventure, a section called refusing the call and supernatural aid. You can think about Luke wanting to leave Tatooine and then deciding that, no, I actually, I'm not going to go help you, Obi-Wan, and then finding his aunt and uncle turned into barbecue briquettes. And then supernatural aid, you can think of uh, when he turns off his targeting computer at the Battle of Yavin, and people are like, Luke, are you okay? (laughs) I love that part. (laughs) Luke, is everything all right? (laughs) Luke, are you updating your iOS? Yeah. Initiation contains the road of trials, the meeting with the goddess, which, you know, we can throw out the gendered pronoun there and just think about that as going to Dagobah and training with Yoda. Woman as temptress, the mild to moderate incest jealousy that happens (laughs) with Leia. And atonement with the father, Luke. I am your father. First of all, as everyone knows, this is a pro-light incest podcast. We do spend most of our time talking we're, about Game of Thrones. Listen, we're a pro-moderate to heavy incest podcast, <laughs> Anything truly. Anything that gives us an excuse to think and talk about Jamie and Cersei, we're all in on. And then third, The Return, which contains refusal of The Return, The Magic Flight, Rescue from Without, and 
Freedom to live. Is the magic flight, is that Quidditch or am I? No? Tune in 2018 for Harry Potter. Just looking for those plugs wherever I can, man. That's right. Mal. Yes. Every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in. Mm, Noble. And that was true. Let's be real. A cause that was worth it. Without that, we are lost. That's how I feel about binge mode. It's true. (laughs) So true. That gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end of Kylo's truly dope lightsaber with the crossbars and everything. I don't know. How do you not cut your hand off with the... It's a good question. Like, it just seems... It's a fair question. Yeah. The defining theme of this episode's Binge Mode Weekly is heroes and villains in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars at its core, you know, under the really cool jackets and the space jargon and the trade tariff talk is a struggle between good and evil, light and darkness, love and hate, the Jedi and the Sith, the central characters of this series, heroes and villains and heroes that become villains and vice versa, have similar biographies. We find them orphaned and abandoned, living in desolate galactic backwaters, struggling with the directions of their lives or making their livings on the margins of galactic society. What drives them in different directions, though, is the respective mentors that guide them on their journey, and the choices they make along the way. We're going to focus on the core, Force-sensitive characters, Anakin and Luke, Rey and Kylo Ren, to break down what defines the heroes and villains of Star Wars. I honestly thought we were mostly going to talk about the jackets. The jackets are fucking great. (laughs) Except for in the prequels. Like, listen. I am not prepared for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was all about Han's fashion. One of the things that I personally believe, I personally believe... (laughs) separates the prequels from the original trilogies is the fashions just are not tight, guys. Like, Jimmy Smith's is wearing this thing with, like, the frilly neck, like, turtleneck thing, and it's just, you're not going to wear that out. I I look at Han in every original trilogy, I'm like, I would wear that. <laughs> Luke's jacket at the medal ceremony at the, after the Battle of Yavin, I would wear that. You know what? It's tight. I wasn't looking at his jacket during the medal ceremony because I was too busy shouting, Where's Chewie's medal, my dude? Truly a fucking disgrace. Where is Chewie's medal? Truly a fucking disgrace. The guy piloted, co-piloted the Millennium Falcon. Come on, guys. It's like specious that he did get a medal. He's a pilot. He's, he's more than a pilot. He's a friend. He's a friend. He's a, a loyal companion. Friend. Pet him. <sighs> Wish Milton were here. I do too. Actually. Wish Halo were here. Alas. Let's talk about Darth Vader, guys. Wow. What a guy. (laughs) (sighs) I actually do breathe like that because I have asthma. Vader was strangely a hero of mine. He's one of the most successful asthmatics in popular culture. Not a great dude. Not a great guy. We're going to explore why that is. Yeah. Young Anakin. Young Anakin Skywalker. Little Annie. Quick aside, (laughs) if I may, because we haven't had enough asides already. My boyfriend, late high school through college, name was Andrew, and Ooh. I called him Annie because of these movies. That's freaking incredible. Was he- And uh, he hated it. <laughs> <laughs> hated it. Did he have like a one braid on the side? No, but he- he, fre- he wear robes? Frequently talked about how much he hated sand, so. <laughs> yes, well, we'll get to that. We'll okay, get more to on that later. later. <clears throat> Annie, young Annie, who- Let's just say right off the top, in a what can only be described as a truly ludicrous <laughs> bit of yeah. retcon mythology building. George. Was apparently immaculately conceived by the force itself. George, pump the brakes, my guy. <laughs> like, follow the hero's journey. That's great. But don't follow it that closely, my dude. Was raised, obviously not by... His father, because again, just want to be clear, right. doesn't have one. He was immaculately conceived <laughs> by the force. Raised on Tatooine by his mother, Shmi. This desert planet upbringing for potential Jedi messiahs, consistent theme yeah. throughout Star Wars, including the original trilogy, the prequels, and our new trilogy, right. our present day trilogy. Anakin himself gifted little pilot and mechanic says yippee about yippee! 100% more often than he should. Yeah. But has a lot, a lot working for him. I just love imagining George like, what do children say? Ah, they say yippee. <laughs> do they not? Do they not say yippee? <laughs> Ask the kids. Hello, kids. 
What's the hot slang, guys? <laughs> is it yippee? They do say yippee. And do they not? <laughs> they do. And as he's saying yippee, he comes to the attention of Jedi Master Qui-Gon. Liam Neeson himself. Ah, he's a man with a lot of skills, as they say. <laughs> and Qui-Gon's Padawan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ah, we know him, yes, don't we, from I the think, original films? Yes, we do. Young and good looking. You know, not into this haircut, though, in general. Mm. yeah, Her- Bad haircuts generally in the prequels. <laughs> bad haircuts generally in the prequels. The Revenge of the Sith hair is my favorite across the board. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Especially when it burns off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan, of course, would become, in time, yes. little Annie's master. In actual life, mm. not in the galaxy, here on Earth, mentors, teachers, and advisors are crucial to just living a fruitful existence. Children come into the world with no experiences. You don't know anything when right. you are a child. No context for the world that you see around you. You know nothing. You know nothing. Padawan. <laughs> yes. And I think we often in life can take for granted the role that these kind of figures play. In the Star Wars universe, solid mentorship and education for Force-sensitive children isn't just consequential for the quality of their life. It's important for the health and safety of, like, literally millions of people. Just imagine being able to choke someone with a thought or throw them like across the room or shoot electricity out of your fingertips. I imagine it with great regularity. I do too. And now imagine like an eight-year-old being able to do that. That's like truly terrifying. That's terrifying stuff. There's a reason that you're not supposed to practice your spells in the corridors That's between right. classes That's right. or when you're home at Privet Drive, Harry. Do not do that. Do not like turn your family members into balloons. Poor Marge. Yeah, tough one. I don't know. She kind of had it she coming. Did, she deserved it. Training for children with powers is important. With great power comes great responsibility. And we all like to laugh at Anakin's like little emo meltdowns. But That's because they're funny. They are really funny. <laughs> but think about what he's seeing here. I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children too. They're like animals and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Talking about the sand people here. What a cool dude Anakin is. You know, he's still a boy, still learning to use his powers, and he just butchered an entire village of sand people because he was, like, mad and didn't know how to process his own rage. Anakin's mentors ultimately failed him. Yes, Senator-turned-Emperor Palpatine wove a wicked web and trapping not just Skywalker, but the galactic government writ large. Darth Sidious, Emperor Palpatine, was immensely powerful, kept his intentions and true nature well hidden, but, you know, where were the Jedi? Right. Where was Yoda? Where was Mace Windu? Where was everyone? These like supposedly master Jedi who, you know, Yoda's 900 years old and blind he was. (laughs) 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 They really let him down here. Like they could not help him at all. That failure. Yeah. The Jedi failure to recognize what exactly was happening with Anakin and how badly this beautiful chosen fruit had rotted is particularly... (laughs) Confounding in light of the narrative that actually surrounds Anakin. Yeah. The narrative that the Jedi themselves prop up, which yeah. is, he's the chosen one, guys. He's the chosen one. We love a prophecy. Everyone loves a, love a prophecy. <laughs> this prophecy, not that fleshed out. Not that fleshed out. Also, again, look, there were three movies originally. People largely loved them. Sure. They decided to make three more. Huge hits. And had to build the world, but building it by inventing things that were not, that do not have DNA in the original trilogy is strange. It's a tough ask. And leads to problems such as this. Yeah. The Jedi, chiefly Yoda, keep talking about the fear that they have surrounding Anakin and the prophecy. It's like all Yoda and Windu and Obi-Wan talk about. Yeah. It's like a third of the prequels is just spent talking about a little bit worried about this kid, they seem genuinely concerned that something isn't quite right with him. Think about the first meeting in Phantom Menace when Anakin is brought before the council and has to play the little game, what speeder is on my little, like, dry erase board here? And what is his exchange with Yoda? Yoda says, I feel you. (laughs) Cold, sir. Afraid, are you? No, sir. See through you again. <laughs> and then Mace Windu, be mindful of your feelings. Kiati Mundi, your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Afraid to lose her, I think. 
first real brat move from yeah. Anakin here. What does that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. Okay. Yeah. Fear is the path to the dark side. It is. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. Yoda says to himself, to Anakin, to the Jedi Council, that Anakin's future is a concern. His future is clouded. He says the chosen one he may be, and then has this really, like, dramatic, nevertheless. Nevertheless? That just hangs (laughs) over existence. Should we do something about it? The harbinger of doom. Yeah. And then what happens? Like, maybe be on higher alert, my guys, if this is what you're worried about. It's baffling. It is really baffling. Like, what else are you doing? He's literally the chosen one is here. What do you guys have going on? They got to work on the hologram tech, I guess. <laughs> Something about taxes? Yeah. Something about taxes. Tariffs? And yeah, Anakin, because of his really prodigious talent for using the Force, always tended towards aloofness and arrogance. And this isolated him from his peers, from his fellow younglings. His closest friend, younglings. you know, the younglings, besides Obi-Wan, was really Padme. Padme Amidala of Naboo. And over time, they fell in love in, in a manner that really makes you wonder if George Lucas has ever had a normal relationship. <laughs> or like just, frankly, ever spoken to a woman. Yeah. This is how people fall. Is They say yippee, right? And then this is how people fall in love, right? You know how we're in a moment in time right now where bots are writing yeah. chapters of stories? Truly. Like a bot wrote a chapter of Harry Potter this week? Yes. This is what great. this feels like. It really does. <laughs> Let's have a bot. Let's ask R2 or C-3PO <laughs> to craft courtship. Right. That's often what this feels like. And of course, one of the things that we have to note is that Padme is not actually the first woman of great import in Anakin's life. She basically subs in right. for his mother, who <laughs> hugely, hugely defines the course of his existence. You know, Anakin is, he's really haunted by the promise that he made to return to his mother, a promise that he ultimately does not keep in time. And long before he ever starts dreaming of Padme dying in childbirth, he dreams of his mother in distress. And then ultimately, when he goes to rescue her with Padme, by the way, with her eventual substitute, he arrives in time to have a final moment with her, to have a farewell, but too late to save her. And his grief turns into a rage and a fierceness that is absolutely terrifying to behold. George Lucas, call your therapist. Padme subs in for Shmi when Anakin is still a child. Just being around her again is intoxicating, he says (laughs) of Padme right after mentioning his mother. Super weird. Yeah. (laughs) But this intense fear of loss increases exponentially after his mother's death. Yes. Anakin's greatest fear becomes losing Padme, who, by Jedi decree, he shouldn't even be with. We must keep it a secret. And he becomes haunted by a vision of her dying, as we said, in childbirth. Quick note. Yeah. I'm curious. Sure. If you had just eloped and you were trying to keep your new marriage quiet, would your first move upon reuniting be to just like openly embrace in the <laughs> middle of a large know, lobby? Right? It's like you're not even really using the pillar as a shield. Come on, guys. Guys. Wide open out here. Use the force. Yeah, Yeah, but also just use some basic judgment. I know. You'd think they'd just be like, okay, like, uh, here's what we'll do. You leave five minutes before me, (laughs) then I'll leave, and then we'll meet. Like, no. And then they're just like, yeah, let's hug in the town square. (laughs) Come on, guys. The Jedi don't even know that Anakin and Padme are together. Like, what? I guess that's why they (laughs) think they can do that. (laughs) The Emperor not only sees it, he exploits it expertly, apart yes, from the does. often uneven and unnatural depiction of Ani and Padme's relationship. Palpatine's method is an insightful comment on how easily positive emotions can take a darker turn when they're pursued at the cost of all else. I won't let this become real, Anakin tells Padme and himself about the bad dreams, the premonitions. You know, he wakes up drenched in sweat. Oof. I the like chest that part. Strangely built. <laughs> I like that part a lot. He was like. <laughs> Weirdly built. Yeah, put on some pounds after life is a house, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just lifted. And ultimately, he brings on the fate he fears. And the fear is, of course, the path to the dark side. He harped on this fear. He let it consume him. As Dumbledore warned, Mm. 
it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. And this is exactly what went Such Anakin a wise did. man, Dumbledore. Truly. Less wise, the Jedi, because... Where are they? <laughs> what are we doing? What doing are we? <laughs> they are telling Anakin that, in essence, his feelings, his own yes. being, right. dangerous, bad, wrong. Right. Palpatine is telling Anakin that his feelings can be the source of his strength. That's right. Trust your feelings and you will become great. Obi-Wan keeps cautioning Anakin about his arrogance, his cockiness, his hubris. Palpatine is saying all those things are what make you so special. And answer this honestly. Ask yourself this question. Who would you rather listen to? Yep. All of us would choose to believe that we were special. It's like we reference this so much on Binge Mode, but the moment between Bran and Lewin, what boy or girl doesn't want to believe that he or she is special? And by the way, there are degrees on that scale. Anakin already knows he's special. How special can he be? Well, someone's offering to help him find out. And he says to him, I can feel your anger. It gives you focus, makes you stronger. Well, that's like, salve on the wound of his life, right? Right. He wants to know how to process these feelings. He wants to know what to do with this. And he especially is going to respond positively if the person isn't just stopping at flattery, but also promising to give him the very thing he's seeking, which is, in Anakin's case, a way to prevent Padme's death. Now, of course, he has like a brief moment still of honoring his pledge as a Jedi Knight and telling them, hey— you might want to check in on hey. on this dude over here because he's uh, he's actually the Sith Lord right. that you've been looking for. What? You've literally just been having conversations we with him every single day. Sensed it, we must have. But when he is faced in that moment yeah. in the showdown between Palpatine and Windu with choosing between honoring that pledge right. or giving up on the prospect of the skills, the ability, the power that would let Sorry. him, he thinks because he's been warped and duped into thinking so, to save Padme, what choice does he make? Right. Well, he turns on him. And that, of course, is one of the great complexities at play, not only in this moment on Anakin's journey, but at the story at large, because the feelings that ultimately lead to Anakin's downfall, that put him on the path to becoming Darth Vader, are love and longing and the fear of loss and that, that desire to believe in his own abilities. Those are all elemental to being alive. You know, the story basically takes the traits that are fundamentally human and and marks them as yes. milestones on the path to villainy. That's like a complicated and pretty strange idea. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, not to excuse Anakin's behavior. He ultimately is making the choices that he makes. Right. And that is one of the themes is that the hero's journey, there are forks in yeah. that road. And the choices that you make define which path you travel. And he defines his own path, but the circumstances around him and the creeds and the, the way that he has been taught to live his life and then the prospect of being able to live it in a different way, that defines it too. You know, sure, his like not-so-light endorsement of dictatorial right. regimes right. is concerning. He is violently immature. He's irresponsibly rash, but we should at least ask ourselves as consumers of the story if things would have been different for him if he had been allowed by the Jedi, by his training, by the world that he was occupying, to grieve and to love freely. You know, when Padme says to him, to be angry is to be human, Anakin's reply there is, I'm a Jedi, I know I'm better than this. Why should he have to be? Yeah, Anakin at the end is the choices he made. The Emperor wove a expert web But that does not let Anakin off the hook. His desire to learn the secrets of conquering death led him to betray the Jedi, slaughter the younglings. He found himself limbless and ruined because his hubris led him to challenge Obi-Wan, who, as he gladly will tell you, had the high ground. Does that matter, guys? The high ground? What are we, like, what are we, archers? What is this, a trebuchet? Like, what is going on here? If you pause for a minute (laughs) and consider that, sure. I have the high ground! A lot of steps on the road, but that ultimately the thing that truly, really, finally, definitively made Anakin Vader is just that Obi-Wan was standing on a hill? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that matters in... You know, the arrogance to think it didn't matter. Lightsaber battling 101. Don't fight a guy standing on a hill. You know I love that scene, though. It's great. I hate you! These, <laughs> <laughs> like, faces burn. You were my brother, Anakin! Oh, that's such good stuff. George Lucas typing this stuff out. Yippee! 
I um, like it. <laughs> oh, you know, ultimately, Anakin became the Emperor's right-hand man in forcing his will across the galaxy. He took part in the genocidal destruction of Alderaan, or at least he was standing right there when it happened. He delighted in murdering his own men as punishment for errors great and small. And in the ultimate moment, sure, he was moved by love for his son Luke, turned on the Emperor. This we are led to believe, brought balance to the force. But hey, whether, there's that prophecy. Hey, <laughs> but what, does it really balance out the literally billions of lives lost in the conflict? That's an open question. I will just say sure. that while the prequels justifiably get a bad rap, yes. I find them compelling on a certain level because yeah. the idea that they are exploring what makes somebody a villain? Yeah, How like does too. somebody become? Is that evil in you always? Right. Do you find it along the way? Just really a genuinely compelling thing in storytelling, period. It's like one of the reasons that love Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince right. so much. You know, that's not personally my favorite book, but I've always thought that there was a case that it was the best and the most masterfully crafted specifically because it puts the reader in the front row to watch the making of evil. And right. these movies, I think certainly less gracefully, Ultimately, though, do the same thing. Right. And that is interesting to me. Well, I think the most important element of a good story when you're crafting a villain or crafting these characters is just to understand that, like, the villain does not see himself as a villain or herself. Sure. The villain is like, I am doing the right thing. I'm on the just and righteous path. Yeah, I am a hero. Right. Let's talk about someone slightly less complex. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Skywalker. He's fine. Luke's fine, guys. He's fine. Like his father before him, Luke grew up on desolate Tantooine on his aunt and uncle's moisture farm. Love a moisture farm. Love that blue milk. <laughs> Weird blue milk. <laughs> like his father, who he knows only by the tense silences that greet his questions about him, he's a talented pilot and handy with repairs, and this is the skill that ends up as the catalyst that changes his life when he's cleaning R2-D2 and he accidentally triggers Leia's video appeal to Obi-Wan Kenobi, which sends Luke on a galaxy-saving adventure. Luke's defining characteristic, though, certainly throughout the first two movies of the original trilogy, is like a particular kind of small-town restlessness. Tatooine sucks. It's dreary, it's dusty, nobody lives there, nothing goes on there. Owen and Baru live on the outskirts of the outskirts of the outskirts. Meanwhile, there's this really exciting war on, chance for dashing adventure between the Rebellion and the Empire, and... Luke is out here in the galaxy's armpit just sitting on the sideline, like, watching it happen as his friend Biggs Darklighter goes to join the Alliance and gets to fly X-Wings. Like, and he's Biggs just... Darklighter. Biggs Darklighter. <laughs> Biggs! Man. He cares very little for power or fame or even love. You know, except for the part where he develops a minor crush on his sister. <clears throat> we get to that later. That's neither here nor there. Mostly, he's just really fucking bored. He's sick of the blue milk. You know, yeah. he wants some variety <laughs> in his the diet. Blue, the blue milk sucks. Can I get some meat? What are we eating out here? Is there Postmates for like oh, man. out in Tatooine? What do they deliver out there? I what will, are we eating? I will say while rewatching all of these movies in the last couple of days, one of the thoughts that I had was, wow, they really get around quickly. Delivery they would do. be amazing here. It'd just in good. general, here being the galaxy. Get in that sand speeder and just like turn on the autopilot and just drive. I mean, 12 parsecs, that's... Considerably better than the average weight on Postmates. Obi-Wan then comes into Luke's life at the perfect time. Perfect time for a mentor. He gives Luke entree to a world and truly like a level of existence that Luke never knew existed. A dream of adventure, of princesses, of space fighters, laser blaster battles against Imperial troops. One of the high points for unintentional comedy yes. in all of these movies is, I wonder if she means old Ben Kenobi. <laughs> Well, yeah! <laughs> How I, many people are named Kenobi and have an O and a B? Interesting aside, why don't like people in Star Wars know anything about what happened ever? <laughs> they just seemed like stuff that happened five years ago is like a fucking mystery. It's like King Arthur and, and Excalibur. They're just like, oh, do they mean Han Solo, the rebel general? Could that be him? <laughs> what? Jedis? Who? The Force? What is that? Lightsaber? Are you serious? Yeah. It's anyway, really weird. It's, it's, it's really, really weird. It's, it's weird. Luke, as we were saying, knew nothing about the Force or Jedis or lightsabers before Kenobi appeared in his life. This seems weird, as we just mentioned. But whatever. Obi-Wan becomes the father figure that Luke has been yearning for. And critically, with the Jedi thought to be extinct, Ben can train Luke one-to-one -one in relative secrecy without having to worry about Vader or the Emperor exerting their Sith Lord influence. 
giving him really the guidance that he never gave Anakin. Anakin was like, set it and forget it. Hey, he's the chosen one. I sense anger in him. What should we do about it? Ah, right. you know. Counterpoint, his training strategy is in essence, I'm going to go sit over here, put on something that blocks your vision and train with this little ball. Well, you got to start. Han makes fun Listen, of you, you got to start somewhere. You got to take BP before you, you take major league <laughs> Just pitching. Just hit, hit off the tee <laughs> while I rest. That's, yeah. And you'll become a Jedi and it'll be fine. And in then time. Yoda will help. In time. Because I'll be dead because I'm old. And that's why well, I don't have gets, the energy to train if you. If he gets struck down, he'll be more powerful than you can ever more imagine. Powerful. That's right. So Obi-Wan, Princess Leia, and Han, who, listen, to be fair, not the best influence right away, and Chewie become Luke's peers and contrast this with Anakin. Anakin had no friends, zero friends, except for Obi-Wan, who, to be fair, that relationship was really more of a rivalry right away. The young Padawan was constantly being like, is this, do we do this? Is this the right way? Like, is this really the good idea? Luke respected and loved Obi-Wan, idolized, naturally, Han, because Han is freaking cool. And Chewie is like the best friend slash dog that every boy dreams of having. And Leia is true royalty and a badass and plugged into the highest levels of the rebellion. These are just cool friends, cool people to be around. How do you justify how many times Luke and Leia kiss? <laughs> uh, what is the justification for the this? Justifi Other than... George did not have his story mapped out. I think that's got to be it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I it's mean, I hope. got to be it. I hope. I kind of hope. It's like, you can excuse one yeah. as, you know, they're excited. Yeah. They're, they don't know. They don't know. They're they just don't. behaving like people. Sure. In the and galaxy. They're attractive young people, the prime yeah. of their lives. wearing Stop these at one, George. At I think the other thing. Another aside is like we forget like how long there were between movies. There's like three years of millions of consumers of this story being like, oh, man, I can't wait till they get together. Right. This brother and sister. People were into it. They were way into it. I wonder what the popular, more popular like couple to ship at the time was. If more people were riding for Han and Leia or if mm. more people were riding for Luke and Leia. I think the gender breakdown would be very interesting. We should canvas the interwebs. We should do that. Are old people online? Because this <laughs> was a long old time ago. Online. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, so Luke's choices are, you know, for the most part, selfless. Before the Battle of Yavin, which culminated in the destruction of the Death Star heat, chides Han when the smuggler was like, I'm out of here. This is bullshit. Like, I'm in it for the money piece. And that guilt trip certainly plays a part in Han returning at the decisive moment to chase Darth off Luke's ass, allowing Skywalker to hit that one in a million walk-off homer. And what <laughs> seems like a drift toward Anakin-like arrogance on Dagobah is really just a function of impatience. He wants to get back in the fight. He wants to help his friends. He's not really interested in honing his powers. Like, And so when Yoda pulls the X-Wing out of the swamp, he's truly humbled by this. And he's truly shaken when he has that encounter slash vision with Vader that reveals his own face inside the helmet. A really, actually, great scene. It is a good scene. He does, though, ultimately choose to leave after all of that right. stuff. So I think it's at least a fair thing for viewers to question his maturity, yes. if nothing else. Yeah. And to ask, basically, not only whether he's up to the task, but how complex his calculations even are. You know, one of the <laughs> things about Anakin is we at least... Always understand his motives. Right. You know, and right. they're really heavy yeah. motives. Like, nobody in life wants to be faced with the prospect of choosing between a duty or a loved one. Right. And that is ultimately, there's a corollary there between Anakin's situation and what Luke is facing in this moment. But the stakes of I want to go help my friends are just lower, yeah. ultimately, than I'm having a premonition that based on my past experiences, I, I essentially know will 100%. come true 100%. of my secret wife and secret babies <laughs> being ripped away from me. And it's one of the things about Luke as a character that ultimately makes his character arc fit much more neatly in the hero's yes, journey archetype, but also probably makes him less compelling as a character. Yeah. He doesn't really stray in ways that feel like they have consequences. You know, even with this moment, choosing to leave Dagobah and, and put his training on hold, he can just, like, go back. Yeah. He can just go back. Even then, you have to wonder about Yoda. Like, why does he not see the bigger picture there? This is the thing. Why does he not understand what going to rescue Han and Leia might mean in terms of the Vader reveal. Like, in 
the next movie, when Luke goes back to finish his training and Yoda dies, yeah. Yoda's just like, wow, he told you he was his dad? Yeah. I was not counting on that. <laughs> that is a twist. Hashtag Why is everything a twist? Yoda, not really with it. I mean, to be fair, he was like 900 and maybe he lost his fastball. He's 900. I don't know, man. I expect more. Old he was. <laughs> And you know, the Emperor runs a playbook that works so effectively on Anakin. Take the thing that Luke cares about most, his friends, and threaten it. And to be fair, it almost works. Luke almost kills his father in order to get the Emperor, in order to save his friends. But at the final decisive moment, Luke pulls back, turns his father against the Emperor, brings him back to the cause of the light. The moment when Luke, well, moments really, when yeah. Luke rejects the pull of finding out that Vader is his father and of the invitation to the dark side. I'll never join you! <laughs> does it without rejecting right. his own belief in the the validity of that bond and that relationship. Right. That's the most compelling stuff in yeah. the original trilogies. I think that's why Empire is so compelling to so many people. It's really the only time in the story that Luke is like, we're allowed to witness his introspection and right. the, the consequences and ramifications of that. And obviously that plays out in Return of the Jedi in a way that is like maybe too tidy, but ultimately fairly compelling. One of my questions now, as we're returning to Luke's story sure. in Last Jedi, is where he actually is on the hero's journey. Right. Because I think for a long time, people thought, okay, Luke basically, in essence, completed yes. the hero's journey. Right. Like he made it through. Right. He did it. Right. He won and everyone won because of that. Right. He saved the day. He's a chosen one right. in many respects. But is that true? Because Kylo Ren, a character we're about to talk about, right. is the new bad because he went awry under Luke's watch, That's under right. Luke's training. And Luke is hanging out on this, I got to say, quite lovely. It's beautiful. But still very remote island where nobody can find him. Hiding like a coward. from view. But what does this mean about his path? Yeah. What steps are still left for him? Will he repeat this arc? Or is he maybe not as far along on the, the path as we right. thought? Well, I mean, with teachers like Yoda, it's really surprising <laughs> that Luke is maybe not great at training other Jedis. <sighs> to be fair, he stacked those rocks. Remember when he stacked those rocks, True. guys? You know what the Jedi do a lot other than <laughs> fail to see things that are developing? <laughs> they, they fail to see the, the rise they of run a combine right they, in front of them? They do like a combine run? They do a combine run into exile, into self-imposed <laughs> willful exile. Uh, something went wrong here. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. Things are tough. I'm just going to go really far away and you're not going to be able to find me for a super long yeah, time. Ben, ben with the- The Yoda playbook. Ben's brilliant hiding place of Darth Vader's home planet under his actual name. He'll never be able to find his son with his own family. He'll never <laughs> think to look. I, I will say like one of the only things in the prequels that- you actually hear and say, okay, I'm glad they did that, is the Emperor telling Vader yeah. that Padme had died, that he had killed <laughs> him. <laughs> because you're like, well, why wouldn't he have gone and looked for the kids? Yeah, right? So I'm glad they explained that. Oh, they're least. dead? Okay, I won't check that. Ray and Kylo Ren. So I'm team Kylo. I'll just say it right now. I, he was the most, for me, the most compelling <laughs> character in, in The Force Awakens. We don't obviously know a lot about where they are in the right. hero's journey. This is We're at the very beginning with them still. We've seen the first movie. We know less about Kylo than we do about Rey. But they are interesting to talk about. Rey, from another desert planet, Jakku, another mysterious background. She has vague memories of, of what we think are her parents leaving her on the planet. But we know that she's innately good because she cares about droids, guys. That's right. She and you can always tell whether someone's an asshole or someone's worth true. caring about by how they treat the droids. How they treat droids, how they treat animals, how they treat these creatures and or life forms that are essentially defenseless. She intercedes when the junk scavenger is waylaying BB-8. She's like, just, get out of here. Just going to say it right now because this yeah. is a safe space and sure. I trust you and I trust our listeners. Of course. BB-8 is my favorite Love Star BB Wars character. Love a BB-8. <laughs> like Luke, longs for adventure. Mm -hmm. Sitting there eating like a crunch bar wearing a, <laughs> wearing a Starfighter helmet. What is, what is that? Like, what are those little pa weird pancakes? I always thought that the, like a little bread, the instant rising bread <laughs> Was Not a nice great. touch, but also had a bit of a weird purple hue that I found concerning. I'm like, is that a blueberry muffin? I don't what, know what, what that is. Also, here? this planet is like full of like these gigantic dinosaurs. Can I get some meat? <laughs> Can we like slaughter one of these? And yeah, anyway, it's tough. Also, uh, like Luke, she yes craves adventure. Right. She thinks in, on some level 
knows that she's meant for something bigger, but there's a, a deeply rooted reluctance yes. to change, to take the step in the first place, right. to make that choice. Well, it's interesting, like, the characteristics she takes from Anakin, which she takes from Luke. She's really a much more isolated than, than Luke was. She's self-reliant in that sense because she's been supporting herself since she was a child, but she lives alone. She lives right. alone in the hull of an ad-ad, just scavenging parts. Kylo Ren Anakin's grandson is terrifying. Han Solo and Leia's kid. Amazing. One of the only bits of fan service that has ever worked this well, I have to say. It's true. It's just great stuff. Ben! He's <laughs> One a- of you chose to go by Kylo Ren. Where'd that come from? And then your dad, who you were pissed at, showed up and was just like, Ben! Also, like, what is the timeline here? When did he turn? Like 18, 15, and then he's like, I'm the Knights of Ren? In general, across the story, never really a clear sense of age or time frame. Yeah. And how much time has passed because this how happened, old people are and where we are. This seems like it happened kind of quick. It's like he was a kid, and then he went away to college, came back wearing black, and all of a sudden he's like, I'm Kylo Ren, I'm bad. Also, at the end <laughs> of the prequels, like, there's the Death Star, <laughs> but they're just finishing it. In A New Hope? Listen, they were like pretty far along. That was the backup. Along. They had the backup. They were pretty far along. A lot of time passed. I'll always have a backup. Luke was a baby. The Death Star is there. It's not fully built. I acknowledge that. But there's like a good solid skeleton, a foundation of the Death yeah. Star. And then Luke is like, what, 18? Yeah.-ish, 20? We don't know exactly, but he's like an old teenager. Because they keep saying, they make a point of he's too old. He's too old for his training. He's old. Yes. Why are they just finishing the Death Star? What are you doing, guys? What are you working on? Tough stuff. Kylo Ren, unlike Anakin, I think is really the embodiment of how scary it would be to face an immature person with very low self-control who has incredible power at their disposal. And also, like, there's something relatable about his immaturity. There's a special kind of disappointment reserved for one's parents and guardians and family members. You know, Han and Leah and Luke have in Kylo's mind— and probably in actuality, certainly just by where he is in his life, let him down somehow. And we probably all know a person like Ren who wore their dismay openly like a cloak. And now imagine if that person could kill you with a thought. That's scary. And that's why I, I really find Kylo Ren to be fascinating and really like a magnetic character. I'm so compelled by him because he is actually giving us a bit of the reverse of what we typically see. Actually, of what we saw with Anakin, which is a person who we think is good or should be good and then is drawn into the darkness. We watched that part of it happen. We're introduced to him, to Kylo, when he's already lost. That's right. Right? But we hear him acknowledge and say, I feel the pull of the light. Right. We he know that. that he is not fully gone. And we that's get right. to, that's what gives, well, many things, obviously, of how important Han Solo is as a character to like literally everybody who's alive. Yeah. That gives that moment between them on the bridge when Kylo kills his oh, father man. so much heft and emotional weight is yeah. you're like genuinely not sure if Kylo tricked Han right. into basically allowing him to stab him with the lightsaber and kill him, or whether he was honestly until that last second. Unsure. Unsure of his own choice and of what path he wanted to take, whether when he was basically pleading for his father to help him, to pull him back in, that was what he actually wanted. We don't know. And that's actually awesome. I'm so excited to find out. Obviously, I'm like, riding hard for Ray and the fact that we have a female character as a lead in these movies is super dope. But Kylo's really cool too. Kylo's really cool and a cool performance. Like the choice that I love is like that really weird thing where he's like beating on his own side because he's like cut there and he's like trying to drown out the if pain. If you got it's shot just a weird with a choice. blaster yeah. and you're freely bleeding onto yes. the snow, is that what you would do? Might be. Like just the <laughs> fact that it's so weird and weird choices in Star Wars aren't always the thing. Like right. the, the thing we love about that Kylo Han conversation, that scene, is there's some ambiguity there. And right. it's like ambiguity in Star Wars. Very rare. Very, very rare. <laughs> it's good or bad. Rare. You're good or bad. That's it. Rarer than meat uh, in Ray's diet, <laughs> yeah, apparently. Can we kill one of these dinosaurs? <laughs> Gotta say also, the Kylo Ray lightsaber battle. Yeah. Is incredible. It's great. There are visually beautiful. The sounds. Yeah. There are plenty of things that you can rightly criticize about The Force Awakens, which I really liked. Personally, I I was just like, this is fun. Star Wars is back. I actually don't care that this is like literally a note for note (laughs) remake of A New Hope. I can argue for it. Every 
Star Wars movie of note, every new milestone yes. in the journey somehow ends with the same idiotic construction plans and security failings right. leading to the explosion of a central base. Captain Phasma, like, what are we doing, yeah. guys? I wanted more out of Brienne. Yeah, I, I wanted more out of Brienne than just, like, looking cool and then all of a sudden shutting down the shields. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, kind of willing to overlook that because yeah. we ultimately have the ingredients for a successful Star Wars yes. story. Heroes and villains yes. making choices that define who they are and what the impact of their lives will be and lightsabers that look and sound cool. I love it. And a droid, who I love. I BB-8. Love it. I love R2 also. Yeah. R2 will always have a special place in my heart, but BB is like my dude. BB is cute. Great design. I have an incredible picture of my cat, Halo, posed yes. like with the little remote control BB-8, and he's like sniffing him, and, and BB-8's little antenna like is up Halo's <laughs> nose a little bit. It's very, very special to me. We should, we should post that to underscore, to the to underscore. underscore. Let's do it. The underscore, as we call it. All right, Jason. Yeah. You've said it before. Right. I'll say it again. Never tell me the odds. But I'd also prefer if you not let me live in complete ignorance either. So when Rogue One hit theaters last year, you wrote a really wonderfully thought-provoking piece for for The Ringer, a great website that you should all check out, about how that film really required audiences to grapple with the franchise's portrayal of the politics of war. And now, as a new film looms, it's time to assemble the conclave or in this case, to gather your fellow masters in yes. person or in hologram form, whatever you prefer. Assemble the Jedi Council. Teach us everything we need to know about the wider iconography of Star Wars. Toward the end of Rogue One, a random pilot guy, <laughs> after learning of the existence of the Death Star, sums up the balance of power between the Alliance and the Empire by saying, the Empire has the means of mass destruction, the Rebellion does not. This framing is meaningful. And it's an insightful comment on a powerful and age-old symbol, which you can go back to David and Goliath with this, the weak standing up to the strong. The narrative of strength, of victory, is often less compelling than the narrative of defeat. That's ironic. In fact, the symbolism associated with strength often carries a distinct hint of menace, of aggression. There is something innately clarifying about the notion of defending oneself. It's really a sacred idea of repelling an invader, of fighting a foe that is too powerful to defeat, but doing it because you're defending the things that you care about. Star Wars has always understood this. In 1973, Lucas described his story as, quote, a large technological empire going after a small group of freedom fighters. To that end, Star Wars wraps its heroes in the trappings of rebellion and resistance and its villains in the imagery of domination and aggression. The most recent films in the series Rogue One and The Force Awakens simultaneously update this iconography and double down on the symbolism. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is the most, to me, interesting example of this. The loose-fitting Vietnam allegory of episodes four through six has been tailored to fit a more modern era. Consider the imagery. A city in the desert sacred to the adherence of an ancient religion. Its citizens under brutal occupation. Freedom fighters ambushing a military convoy and then melting back into the native population. Even the names and places of the people are charged with a modern meaning. The planet Jeddah, an important site for pilgrims who believe in the force, is clearly a transfiguration of Mecca. The name of the charismatic rebel extremist, Saw Gerrera, is too similar to Che Guevara to be coincidental. <laughs> the, the Empire's aesthetic was always consciously modeled on Nazism. Their soldiers are stormtroopers. The officers wear those crisp gray uniforms. In The Force Awakens, the gathered soldiers of the First Order, the military and political organization built on the ashes of the Empire, greet General Hux's unhinged screed, this fierce machine which you have built upon which we stand. Nice to see A.I. Ash getting work. A.I. Ash, <laughs> a non-breathing fuck sake who won't quit. Now <laughs> giving his breath to an unhinged screed. And, you know, they meet this screed with an unambiguous Nazi salute, a one-fisted Nazi salute. And that's, to me, an interesting aspect of Star Wars Say. It's not so much the characters and the Manichaean space opera. It's how the films allow us, and I'm speaking specifically of American Western audiences, how it allows us to engage with these symbols of rebellion which we don't normally have access to. Well, Mal? Yeah. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> Every episode, we're going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the mostest. And this week, we're going to award our champion's purse, payable in Nova Crystals, should the winner so prefer, <laughs> to a true doer. True doer. The droids. The droids. Roll up, BB-8 and the droids. I 
love BB-8. BB-8 is great, man. Here's one of my like seven favorite moments just ever. Sure. A little thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's with, really with the great. Fire with the little you need, you need a light, and it seems giving us thumbs up. All the droids in the story are really fascinating. The way they interact, not only with yeah. humans but with each other, their commitment to their tasks. But they're not actually these flat, lifeless beings. They have yeah. such vibrant personalities, and it's a particularly impressive achievement with droids like R two D two or BB eight because they can't speak. You know, C three PO, you do get to the point where you're like. Can you just, like, shut shut the fuck up for a minute? Also, like, he's mean. He's He's, he's he's as much of a bully as anyone. It's hard to feel too bad for the droids getting bullied when he's as much of a bully as anyone. But R2 and BB-8, they can convey so much about their thoughts and their feelings by sounds. They remind me so much of Wally. Like, Wally and BB-8 have the same pitches and the same tones. And when BB thinks that Poe is dead. The way that his head slides and sings, it's just like heartbreaking. And then his joy when he sees him again. There's more loyalty there than there is among many of the human characters. And it's just really heartening and sort of comforting to think about what if you were in this world? What if you were in this galaxy? And what if you had either the opportunity or the burden, depending on your perspective, to try to save people and to try to make a difference and the one that you could count on was this little rolling Love him. ball of bliss right next to you. Glad you mentioned C-3PO's voice because that's like one of the signifiers that Lucas uses like over time is this class division. You know, the upper class kind of Britishy accents, those are often the bad guys. So it's an interesting choice to use that with C-3PO. Great. Yeah. Also, Zach Cram, who assists us with research and is just a generally great guy. Wanted us to give a shout out to K2SO. K2SO. The smart ass from Rogue yeah, One. I liked him. I liked him. Jason. Yeah. I find your lack of faith disturbing. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> and yet. Yes. When I rewatch the prequels, I can't help but doubt George Lucas' dialogue either. Yippee! <laughs> <laughs> so let's have a little fun. Let's head to the sept. And just in case you can't find it, you're trying to visually like identify it and recognize it, it has far fewer joint-shaped spires than the Jedi Temple, just in case you're getting confused about the building you're heading to. Let's bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite laughably bad quotes yeah. from the prequels, still lightning round style. You go first. What's number one? We're heavily Attack of the Clones here because Attack of the Clones so bad. is freaking crazy. Oh my God. Anakin, don't be afraid. Padme, I'm not afraid to die. I've been dying a little bit each day since you came back into my life. Mm-hmm. That's how people talk. What are you talking about, Padme? I love you. You love me? I thought we decided not to fall in love. <laughs> that we'd be forced to live a lie and that would destroy our lives. <laughs> I thought we had decided not to fall in love is a, is a, yeah, I thought, a true treasure. Did we not decide that? <laughs> Thought we had an agreement. Come on. Not only is there a heavy Attack of the Clones theme here, there's just a heavy Anakin and Padme theme it's here. It's bad, guys. Number two, this is also from Attack of the Clones. This is Anakin to Padme, and it is truly weird. Masterfully bad. No, it's really bad. <laughs> from the moment I met you, all those years ago, yeah. not a day has gone by when I haven't thought of you. Yeah. I thought that's like, we're, we're okay to this point. It's like a little cheesy, but it's, it's, it's not that bad. And now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. The thought of not being with you. I can't breathe. And here we go. This is the real hammer line. Ready? I love it. I'm haunted by the kiss Ooh. that you should never have given me. What? <laughs> <laughs> Who speaks like this? I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. What? What are you, What are we doing here? <laughs> George Lucas is like, oh yeah. Oh my God. My Romance. heart is beating. Hoping that kiss will not become a scar. You are in my very soul, tormenting me. <laughs> We're feeling tormented too. Yes. Can I just say like, my heart is beating? Your heart beats. That's why you're alive. <laughs> Can we describe how it is different than normal? What are we doing, Lucas? Jason, he doesn't yes. want the kiss that she should never have given him to become a scar on his beating heart. <laughs> yes. Please pay attention. You are in my soul tormenting me. What? 
Anyway. <laughs> number three. Number three. Special mention to when Anakin admits that he killed a whole village of sand people. <laughs> I just want to mention that because we don't mention it again. But number three, Anakin. Someday I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. What a brag. It's incredible. What do we, like, keep He's that inside, my guy. He's such a brat. He's truly terrible. He's such a brat. But built. <laughs> yeah, eventually, yeah. Number four. Also attack of the so clones. Much attack also the clones. Anakin to Padme. Yeah. This is special. This is a meme. They are having one of their genuinely countless balcony exchanges. It's just in the balcony <laughs> looking over the city. So many balconies. And just, you know, talking about things they like and don't like. As, the, as they do. The topography sure. on their favorite and least favorite planets. As one does. And Anakin offers this up. Yeah. I don't like sand. Who does? It's coarse and rough and irritating. He yeah. also sounds like it's kind of like a really like Long Island kind yeah. of voice. Also, thank you for describing irritating. Sand. And it gets everywhere. It does. Not like here. And this is the creepiest moment because as he's saying this, he starts to look at her. Oh, so he's yeah. like theoretically describing their current location, but he's not even subtly talking about her, her yeah. physical person. Here everything is Soft and smooth. Oh, my God. What a weirdo. And George Lucas is just like, <laughs> romance. <laughs> type, 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 type. Number five. <sighs> the first meeting after not seeing each other for years. Padme. Honey. My goodness. <laughs> You've grown. Anakin. So have you. Grown more beautiful. <laughs> for a senator, I mean. <laughs> Padme. Honey. You'll always be the little boy I knew on Tatooine. By the way, a true mark of <laughs> terrible dialogue. When people who are talking to each other say each other's names. Constantly. When constantly when addressing. Mallory? <laughs> Jason. You know I, what makes bad dialogue? <laughs> I do say Jason a lot during these podcasts. I'll reassess. If I were George Lucas. Uh, yes, you'd be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> that part would be great. Take but me out to dinner. Okay. I'm not sure that I would have inserted the line, you'll always be that little boy I knew on Tatooine. It's a tough one. I'm not sure reminding yeah. viewers that he was literally a small child when and they met. And then they fall in love. Is ideal. Romance. Number six. Yes. I'm switching it up here. Still Padme and Anakin, <laughs> but <laughs> Revenge of the Sith instead of Attack of the Clones. This is actually a Padme line, and it is truly- I love this The one. worst thing I have- Ever heard uttered on camera, <laughs> uttered in a film. Hold me. Yes. Like you did by the lake on Naboo so long ago when there was nothing but our love. No politics, no plotting. It's beautiful. No war. Oh, man, Guys, beautiful. it's called Star Wars. There's always war, first of all. Get your head out of your own asses. It's not just about you. Before the Star Wars. And your meadows and your lakes. Come on, guys. Hold me like you did by the lake on Naboo. So long ago when there was nothing but our love. A human being wrote that. I'm going to ask did another he? human being <laughs> to say that in a movie. Incredible. Unbelievable. <laughs> Number seven. And I just want to take a moment to say. It has been random that I have gone first. I've taken some heat because now I end up, we do the seven, so it's an odd number, and I end up doing one more than Mallory. It's random, guys. We're going to switch it up. Don't worry. I'm not keeping you from Mal. Believe me. You can have her takes. Her takes are great. I believe it. Number seven, Palpatine. Not at all seeming like a villain when he accepts the <laughs> full powers of the yeah. Senate. It is with great reluctance that I have agreed to this calling. I love democracy. <laughs> I love the Republic. Once this crisis has abated, I will lay down the powers that you have given me. Wow, yeah. That guy doesn't seem suspicious. The Jedi, who could the Sith Lord be? Who could it be? Could it be the, the one man accruing all the power in the galaxy? No, not him. Let's move on. I love democracy. I love the Republic. Mm. The way he says "republic" makes me makes me crave republic here in here in Los Angeles. Mm. I could go for some of those cookies. Ooh, with some blue milk. The blue milk, so nutrient rich. Mm. All right, guys. Yeah, this podcast is your father. It is. We hope that you had no! as much fun. <laughs> I'll never join this podcast. 
It's impossible. <laughs> what does he think about the watch? <laughs> no. <laughs> Search your feelings. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> Guys, we hope that you had as much fun as we did yes. today. And that you were as excited as we are to see The Last Jedi and, of course, to listen to Binge Mode. Harry Potter in spring of 2018. We also hope that you will join us next Thursday when we will be discussing Star Wars again. We will be talking about The Last Jedi. And until then, just remember, when gone we are, the last of the Jedi you will be. That's right. The Force runs strong in this podcast audience. Pass on what you have learned. This is like the room. <laughs> you are the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them. Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. I hate you. You are my brother, Anakin. I love you.